0: everybody's just passionate about it it's so yeah. frustrating. everybody's full of frustration and yeah. it, it just doesn't seem like anybody's voice gets heard right you know we've well, yeah. been having yeah. listening sessions for ages and it hasn't changed yeah. the damn thing so or it doesn't seem like it has i'll put it like that this is overdrive radio
1: I'm Todd Dills, and that was owner-operator and OIDA board member Tilden Curl, based in Washington State that you heard at the top. He was talking about the growing intensity of emotion around issues truckers have been dealing with for years, and the reason that they continue to grow. In essence, those with at least some power to do something about them, or to be an advocate for a solution to them, as would be the case for things like the ELD mandate or some wholesale rewrite of the hours of service, which might require more than just executive branch revisions actions. Those with power to influence change in whatever way simply don't seem to have heard those they've routinely asked to speak at listening sessions around the country and elsewhere. Those who read my Channel 19 blog may have already read this quote from him, but I'll repeat it here as he went on to say, It does seem too that the FMCSA or our lawmakers or whoever, the largest lobbying groups, have their attention. And that's about it, Carl said. It seems like the small working man doesn't get heard anymore. Even if they get the chance to speak, it's all about the constituency of the dollar. He continued in our Monday conversation speaking to a variety of rule changes that have seemed designed over the years to in some ways further and further complicate and constrain the business of trucking for owner-ops
0: and small fleets. The people that it directly affects where the most expert uh, input could come from, that never rises to the top. It's all about the constituency of, of the dollar. That you know. seems to be what drives things, and uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know how we will get a hold of our uh, our rules in our industry until you know we can depend on our government representing the people instead of the dollar.
1: The principal reason for our pre-scheduled talk, however, was an update on some of the parking planning-related work Curls putting in along the I-5 corridor in Washington State. Likewise, a discussion of what Curl sees as a central inequity in liability insurance among trucking companies, the, quote, privilege, as he calls it, large carriers have have to be able to self-insure, avoiding what otherwise might be insurance market costs that the rest of the industry already bears for risk. The ability to self-insure, he says, contributes to issues of substandard training, substandard pay, and a general misplacement of the value of experience, much more ultimately that he, he and other, many others contend. Along the way, too, we talked more closely about what he's seeing in terms of the ebb and flow of parking in his lane as a result of the ELD mandate and other ELD-related issues, particularly the pressure cooker hurry-up effect he's seen in others and himself on the roads. We started, though, talking a little bit about Curl's operation, specialized along the Washington to California I-5 corridor.
0: I, I run up and down the West Coast, Uh, primarily on I five and I go from Bellingham, Washington to Los Angeles and back every week. And, um, uh, the way my schedule works, I get one day a week off to reset my hours and I take off again. Uh, Tuesday happens to be my day off. That's what I've been doing for quite some time now. And I, I pull a step deck and, uh, I carry, um, Cross arms for power poles uh, power lines, I carry those south, and then I carry steel and hot tubs north.
2: I was interested in hearing um hearing what you were uh, work you were kind of putting in. I think you' are focus, focusing on the uh, the kind of parking situation uh, up in up in Washington your sort of neck of the woods um, as I think uh, part of that national truck parking coalition
0: that's correct. Um, my focus is i have been on well i've got several irons in the fire right now but uh parking is one that i'm i'm concentrating on presently uh i've been involved in a couple of meetings in north bend washington and i've had uh several meetings with the uh, the state washington state dot here and talk about things and there's actually a conference coming up next week that i'm supposed to speak about these issues on and uh uh or excuse me next month and uh the the problem is with north bend out there uh, there's a mountain right next to their city and so it's not like they can push the truck parking problem further down the road and everybody has pushed that problem right up onto their doorstep and they're overrun with the problem that no one else really wants to try to do anything about so um i'm trying to get involved and get people's attention going toward it to see if we can come up with uh some reasonable solutions to facilitate more truck parking
2: is north in the the city that uh, they they put in place a truck parking ban. Basically,
0: they have made a rule that no there can be no more expansion, no further expansion of the truck parking. Oh, okay. um, there's a, a truck stop there, and uh, um, it holds. I, I don't remember exactly. I, I want to say. Uh, let me look here. I've got some notes here. It supposedly it holds. 140 trucks out there at the TA at North Bend. And unfortunately, with being the case, when there's a problem or just about any night, there's probably 200 trucks or better parked out there all around and on the shoulders and wherever people can find a parking place because there's a complete lack of parking in the entire Puget Sound region. Yeah, they did a, a... truck parking study uh, survey, yeah. and I'm looking for my numbers, but I can't find them right off the top of my right. my head here, but of uh, course good. when I want them. But from <laughs> Olympia to Everett, Washington, um, and Seattle's in the middle of that, um, mm-hmm. There's, I, I wanna say that, that there's about 240 designated truck parking spaces um and if you go and include the truck stop south of olympia at the 99 and you include the truck stop at the 202 uh in marysville there's only about 350 designated truck parking spots over that hundred mile stretch of interstate and that includes from the Puget Sound all the way out to North Bend. So there's basically a swat of land there that is 100 miles long and roughly 50 miles wide there that only has about 350 designated truck parking spots. We we have the port traffic, uh, um, ports of Seattle and Tacoma, uh are involved in there so there's a huge amount of traffic and one of the one of the ideas that we're working on is um developing um I, or i should say what i'm promoting is the development of some median uh acreage out there um by where highway 16 meets i-90 there's an area there in the median that about a mile of it could be used. And so if we could develop some truck parking there, it would it would relieve a lot of the stress on North Bend. And then to deal with this into the future, we have to write something in our laws that says that uh, we need to mandate a certain amount of parking spaces for each business that's there, just like we do for handicap parking or customer parking. That's all part of the code. And so if, if we're going to have commercial interests in the future, developing more and more commercial interest, we're going to have to have designated truck parking places at these points of interest. So
2: sure, that, at, um, uh, at at places where you could expect trucks to to, to, exactly. need, to need to go to, yeah, okay,
0: right. Like, like for instance, the port down there. Um, if they could allow for, say, a hundred trucks to park in a designated lot down there, mm-hmm. a lot of the trucks coming from Eastern Washington and and other areas beyond could arrive. At night, when there's not a traffic load and have a safe place to park, and uh, in the morning, they wouldn't be a part of the morning traffic. Uh, the regular traffic wouldn't have to compete with them to get in and out of the ports. And uh, you know, then you have other areas, say, like uh, Auburn, there's a lot of industrial complexes in the area. Um, if there was a statute that required, based on the truck traffic, um, say a, a a lot designated for truck parking that would allow for, say, ten or twenty trucks in these areas to park safely, mm-hmm. um, then all those all those trucks would not be in the morning traffic, and we could utilize our logbooks a lot better. Without wasting so much time, which efficiency is is a problem with the hours of service being enforced to the second.
2: Indeed, so, speaking of that too, I was I was curious to hear from you. I've heard a lot of different points of view on this, but uh, has I mean, in terms of the sort of fluidity of the you know, the parking situation when you're out there on I five. Uh, running, running your routes and looking to shut down for the night. Um, have you noticed anything um, in particular that's changed as we've gotten to
0: this? Uh, a lot, of, a lot of folks moving to ELDs. Um, yeah. Um, what I've noticed is that that well before it was you needed to park early. Uh, the earlier you could park, the better. But usually at Eight or nine o'clock, something like that. Things were starting to get pretty full at rest areas and and places along the way. Um, Corning has three truck stops down there that you can usually find a place, you know, in the evening. But later on in the night, you know, say from eight o'clock on, it's hit and miss. It's it gets pretty full and. Since mm-hmm. the ELDS have come into effect, that time has just moved up earlier. Uh, you would okay. ha- have to plan your schedule to be parked by six in the evening, maybe to find to you know somewhat depend on getting a parking spot. Um. So in those cases, yeah, uh, I've ran this route long enough. I know um, where the Some of the little, I guess you would say, alternate parking places could be. Um, So I usually manage pretty well, but if it's a rest area that you're looking to get into, you're probably not going to make it after about 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. It's forcing everybody's schedule to the earlier part of the day is what it's doing. Uh,
2: I guess some different points of view on that. people note that traffic is a little bit different it seems to be a little bit different as a result in that uh you know the truck stops don't empty out all at once anymore in the morning the one one of the drivers I was talking to is kind of like you, and he runs the same route over and over again, and he'd noticed some kind of fairly sizable differences in some of the choke points along there uh you know it seems like uh uh everybody's not leaving at the same time anymore.
0: Um, No, everybody's waiting to try to maximize everything that they can in their log book. you know, you, if you know, like for instance, when I go South, I, I usually deliver down in Westminster, um, California on the way going South. And, uh, I'll go down to Corning the first day, and that's about ten and a half ten and three quarters driving hours from my house here um, but the second day, I'll drive all the way down to Westminster and park there for the night but i I take off as late as I can so I can get there late enough to miss the traffic at night, but then I'll drive down to Fraser Park or LeBec and I'll park there and burn up a couple of hours of off duty time just waiting on traffic, but to stay within the hours of my logbook mm-hmm. and then drive on down there and park uh and sleep on the street down there, which is it I don't like sleeping on the street, but because of the new way you have to operate with an eld um, you have to push as far as you can every day so you've got the available hours the following day just in case there's a a problem with traffic or whatever and uh, you, you just can't like before i would stay up at at the truck stop at Fraser Park overnight and then drive down into Westminster the following morning. But now, because things are so critical it, that you're being regulated by the minute or even second, that you can't even be one minute over without recording a violation. Right. So it, it does change the way we drive. And I, I used to come back up to Corning and spend the night there and then drive home the following day. But now because I'm worried about a traffic tie up or something like that um, I'm coming north on Sunday and during college football season it's real easy to get caught up in traffic down around Eugene. So now I've started going up to Reading to the truck stop there which is 45 miles closer just to give me a little extra time. The I-5 corridor is a pretty regulated corridor. It's one of the the most highly monitored I guess you'd say. Uh, I go through several weigh stations a day and uh, uh, if you have your ducks in a row it's not a problem but if anything's out of place, then you're going to have a problem. And um, so I went to an ELD and I've experienced pretty much what a lot of the other drivers have is that you just feel rushed and um, you're monitored by by the device. Uh, It's For a guy like me, it's kind of like being a company driver, but I own the company. But it's it's a different way of thinking about things, I suppose. Um, It takes safety out of my hands and puts it into the hands of that box that tells me I need to I need to drive or I need to stop. Um, I find that now I drive much longer periods. You know five, six, seven hours at a time before I'll stop.
2: And anticipation of the uh, potential for delays ahead, or because you know, it gets you under the
0: time pressure. I, I notice there seems to be a lot more truck speeding these days. Everybody's in a hurry, uh, whether it's in a truck stop or on the highway. And something else is, is unusual. It's been happening a lot. Um, is that if you roll up on another truck while you're on cruise control, going up the road, you know, four or five miles above whatever the posted speed limit is, and then you switch lanes to go ahead and pass them, the one the vehicle you're trying to overtake will speed up. It's happened so much. It happens all the time now, it seems like that everybody wants to race with you until you get around them. Then they'll slow back down because I I'm guessing because in their eyes, it gives them a chance to make up a little bit of time. And if anybody's going to get caught, it's going to be the guy in the left lane. But that's, that's a strange phenomenon that's been happening a lot.
2: Not, not exactly the, uh, the thing that you would hope would happen. Right. But...
0: Right. Right. I, I don't know if that's, if it's just, you know, my interpretation of what's happening or, but I know, um, you know, drivers are speeding up. It, it's happening every day, all the time. And, and I don't know why it's counter to what, what we as experienced or seasoned drivers learn to do. It's, it's completely opposite of that. Right.
2: Have you yourself, um, you did say that you you sort of had, had found yourself in the, in the sort of, the mind of feeling like you needed to hurry along, you drove drove for longer periods, but have you actually found yourself speeding up?
0: yeah, yeah, um yeah,
2: okay,
0: as a matter of fact, um I was down in California about a month ago, and uh I had an hour and three quarters of time left to get to the destination that I needed to reach um, that was an hour and a quarter of driving time away, so I had thirty minutes to spare. But I had to fuel up. And okay. so I, I was driving along um about four or five miles above the speed limit, you know. And I pulled out the pass the truck and that very thing that I just described started happening, so I sped up to get around him because there's a fifteen mile an hour speed differential in California and mm-hmm. cars will run up on you pretty fast. Well, I, there was a car behind me and uh you know, back a little ways and so I sped up to get on around him and it happened to be a CHP that was back there. And he pulled me over and gave me a performance citation for doing so good there. <laughs> and that's uh that's the first one of those I've had in years. Wow. Because I I was living by the by the book there, you know if I'm mm-hmm. a minute late, I'm I'm on violation. And, and this happens to be a busy fuel stop there because the price is good. So it's easy to burn more than 30 minutes there sometimes. Right. But, what? you know, as it turned out is that, that cool? night, I I made it to the fuel stop, got my fuel, and took off. And I ran out of time on the off ramp the truck stop and that that was a truck stop that I needed to reach so I could get through completely through the mountains the next day because mm-hmm. they're having snowstorms and stuff like that and uh you know anything short of that would have put me in the mountains the following day so it it is about planning, and yes, I was planning a whole day ahead but At that particular moment um, it uh, it pressured me into doing the wrong thing yeah I've got I've got my carrier rating is one that means I'm in the top one percent in the nation and that's you know the last uh, level one I got the officer made a point to pull me up to his computer and showed me that because he said he don't see very many of those. When he does, he likes <laughs> to show the drivers just, just so they know how well they're doing. Now, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's going to do. I don't know what this device is going to do to my carrier rating. I don't know.
2: When you were you yeah. ran out of time on the off-ramp, what did you, as, I mean, you, you, can, you can take it on into the truck stuff. Um, you're going to show a little time over, but. What did you do? Did you pull over and do the thing that I guess I've heard so many people talk about and uh annotate the log and you know explain the no the time over no, no. i
0: I stopped and I put it on yard move, and I drove oh, okay uh I think I was like three or four more minutes till I could get into the truck stop, and after I got right. back into the truck stop. I put it off duty and stayed below five miles an hour until I got squared away and parked. And okay. and, and that's, that's an argument I've been making about ELDs for a long time, too, is that they don't stop cheating, if you want to call it cheating. Uh, right, I personally right. don't think that's what it is. But um, they don't eliminate cheating. They standardize it. Everybody's got to cheat in the same way now. If that's what you want to call it, but people are going to learn the tricks. Um, you know, I talk to some drivers and say, "Well, just reach down and shut your Bluetooth off and go off duty." You know, there's all different kinds of solutions or, or remedies to to get around some of the stipulations. But each one of them have a little paddle tail that a really good auditor is going to kind of figure it out. Yeah you know the state enforcement officers are probably not going to dig that deep but right. we'll see you know we'll see
2: the self insurance uh, privilege that uh, motor uh, motor carriers have in trucking i was wondering if uh, is that is that an issue that
0: um that you feel like might be rising back to the fore um it is people, how... um yeah it is some more and more people are starting to understand the impact of what that self-insurance does. And more and more drivers out there um, are becoming aware of it and how it gives the advantages to the large companies and and how if you have an accident or something like that, you have to negotiate with that company. that, And they'll always try to cut you short on, say, like if you've got a $3,000 claim, they'll try to give you 1800 um, instead of just fixing it. And then a lot of those accidents like that are never reported as they would be with an insurance company. So um, th- that's just one of the implications of it. Uh, a lot of people are really catching on to the idea that it affects how much they can earn, too, um, because you can... You can be replaced or you're only worth what you can be replaced for. And as long as they can find drivers to self-insure that I can't even get insurance on. If I wanted to hire a driver, they have to go to work for one of these self-insured companies for a couple of years before my insurance will take them. Right. So, so if, you can't if, hire them if you wanted to, right? That's right. And train them much better than what they're being trained. So all these drivers that are coming out these days are company trained. They're not they're not trained by the old experienced guys, for the most part. Um, right. Some schools are good; they learn some good things in it, but mm-hmm. they're they're not getting the type of training that they need, nor for the amount of time that they need to be.
2: Right. It's, it's interesting the the you know, how how far into uh, a lot of the issues that, uh, deal with today in trucking. You can, you can make a case that, um, for a lot of these, uh, one part of a solution would be to, um, uh, to disallow this ability to to self-insure from, uh, you know, just the, the training, the training, uh, issues, uh, or oh, you know, it goes on and on. I think um, substandard pay
0: and a variety of other things. Yeah, the implication runs very deep once you start really looking into all the implications of what self insurance allows to happen. And in Map Twenty One and um, oh, the last, the last transportation bill
2: that got
0: passed. Fast Act. Right.
1: Fast Um, Act. Right, the Fast Act. I looked back through Overdrive's prior reporting, and a measure to remove the ability to self-insure was, in fact, included in the Obama administration's DOT's initial draft highway bill request. It was called the Grow America Act, I believe. The request was for what would eventuate, rather, in the Fast Act, though the removal of the ability to self-insure did not survive the congressional mishmash. Curl explains
0: right up of the bill, there was a provision in there to get rid of self insurance, and the FMCSA has determined that it has no practical benefit, and I think if you were to look at the accident rates, you would find out that it actually is causing um, a lot of lot more accidents. By allowing it, then, if you were to hold them accountable um, for for purchasing insurance on the same way I do, have a third person evaluate their um usefulness or their ability to go drive everybody's
2: operating on the same set of uh paying insurance on the same on a similar or same set
0: of underwriting standards right. Yeah, do do I dare say this? It would level the playing field? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Careful. (laughs) I know. Everybody wants to level a playing field until it turns against them. But anyway...